0: CHAPTERS nine and ten of The Clock Struck One by Fergus HUME. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. CHAPTER nine-AN AMAZING REWARD. The extraordinary will of Julian Edermont caused a no less extraordinary sensation. Pursuant to the instructions of his late client harbour caused the contents of the will to be published in almost every newspaper of the three kingdoms and the advertisement was copied and printed and talked about all over the civilized world many of the leading london dailies devoted a leading article to discussing the eccentricity of the bequest of these lucubrations none was more noteworthy than that of the morning planet here is a chance for our amateur and professional detectives it said a riddle to stimulate the curiosity a magnificent reward to repay the solution of the same mr edermont a recluse dwelling in the red house near canterbury has been barbarously murdered and fifty thousand pounds are now offered for the discovery and apprehension of his murderer it seems that the dead man had a past and that that past has engendered an enemy for twenty years mr edermont lived in strict retirement and took extraordinary precautions to ensure his safety but all in vain the man or woman for no one is aware of the sex of the assassin discovered the victim and carried out the revenge in a peculiarly brutal fashion there is nothing to show how the assassin came or went but the time of the committal of the crime has been ascertained by the evidence of miss carew the ward of the deceased she fancied she heard a cry and immediately afterwards the hall clock struck one there can be no doubt that miss carew really did hear a cry and was not dreaming as she fancied and that such cry was the last appeal of the poor victim for mercy in the will of mr edermont he mentions that the story of his life is set forth in a manuscript locked up in his bureau it is evident that the assassin knew of the existence of this narrative for immediately after committing the crime he we will assume by way of argument that the criminal is a man rifled at the desk and made off with the paper containing an account of his motive for revenge he knew that such paper would condemn him and that with its aid the officers of the law would have little difficulty in putting a rope around his neck doubtless such story gave his name possibly his address and he was aware that it thus jeopardized his safety but be that as it may one fact remains that the assassin has stolen the sole clue to his discovery and it would seem that the death of julian edermont must remain wrapped in mystery but fifty thousand pounds will any one permit this death to go unavenged when he can gain such a reward a fortune for life and the consciousness of having done his duty to the dead man and to society no doubt our inglorious vedox our amateur sherlock holmes will set to work to unravel the mystery and gain the reward the red house near canterbury will become the shrine of pilgrim detectives from all parts of the world nevertheless in spite of their astuteness in spite of their greed we doubt whether the mystery will ever be solved the sole clue as far as we can see is to be found in the past life of the dead man the tale of that past life is set forth in a certain paper such paper is in the possession of the assassin who is himself unknown to find the paper they must find the assassin without the paper the assassin cannot be found and so matters are at a deadlock we shall await the development of this extraordinary case with interest but we doubt whether the fifty thousand pounds will ever be claimed julian edermont is dead and buried his assassin has escaped with the story of the motive for the crime in his pocket here the case stands what light can be thrown on this darkness what clue can be found to the cunning murderer we wait the answer from the possible man or woman who can honestly claim fifty thousand pounds while the papers talked thus while the people wondered and would be winners of the reward set their wits to work on the facts of the case dora remained at the red house no change was made in her life or in that of joad in conjunction with meg the girl still looked after the domestic details of the mansion and joad still came and went from nine to nine he became morose after the death of his friend and hardly addressed a word to dora but she was aware that he constantly watched her in a furtive manner which in the end became exceedingly annoying had the terms of the will been less clear she would have left the red house or have induced joad to confine his life to his own cottage but in order to exist and draw her poor rental of two hundred a year she was forced to live in the house with joad dirty disreputable and crabbed at her elbow she disliked the man exceedingly the more so as she had a suspicion that he admired her but fettered as she was by the terms of the will she could do nothing nevertheless she became aware as the days went by that she would have to make some change in her life it was impossible that she should go on living with an illiterate servant and an admiring satyr it was equally impossible that she should continue to remain at variance with allen after the last interview he neither came near her nor wrote a line to comfort her and angered as she was at his heartless and inexplicable conduct she made up her mind to see him in one way or the other she would bring the matter to an end and treat him either as a stranger or as her affianced lover again she wished to see carver as to her financial position by the will she had been left certain moneys and the red house but she also as she understood possessed an income of five hundred pounds which came to her from her parents and once or twice mr edermont had informed her that she was entitled to so much but he stated also that he was saving it up for her against the time she came of age as dora was now twenty-one she expected that the accumulations would be considerable making allowance for the amounts given to her at various times she concluded that she was entitled to close on eight thousand pounds if this were so as she could ascertain from mr carver it was her intention to change her mode of life should allen prove obstinate i shall give up the red house and the 200 a year thought dora making her plans and after investing my 8000 pounds with the aid of mr carver i shall go to london i cannot live any longer in the company of that odious creature for so she termed the learned jode and if allen is resolved to break off the engagement there is nothing to keep me here Mister Edermont is dead, Allan, for some reason, is estranged, and I am all alone. I shall take my life in my own hands and go to London. It never entered her head to earn the reward. She was completely ignorant as to how her late guardian had come to so untimely an end. Lady Burville might have explained, but after the crime she had gone to London, and Dora did not know where to find her. Mister Pallant might have given a hint, but he had left Hernwood Hall also dora saw no way of solving the mystery and even if she did conjecture the truth she scarcely felt herself called upon to revenge the death of mr edermont by discovering his assassin she did not want the reward and she had not sufficient regard for the dead man's memory to devote herself to so difficult a task mr carver lived and worked in a dusty dingy dreary house near mercery lane his rooms were above he was a bachelor dry and crusty and his offices below two clerks as lean as their master worked in the dismal outer office and in the inner apartment the window of which looked on to amuse mr carver sat all day and often far into the night the appearance of so charming and blooming a woman as dora quite lighted up the musty fusty den her fresh beauty had little effect upon carver who regarded woman as the root of all evil the generally accepted root of all evil is money this he approved of and hoarded but women he could not bear them save in the light of clients and then they gave him endless trouble mr carver said dora facing the saturnine lawyer on the other side of the table i have called to see you about my financial position i was as you know a ward of mr edermont's carver nodded and he has left me the red house and two hundred a year mr carver nodded again but what about my own income of five hundred a year what five hundred a year said carver grimly the income which was left me by my parents i was not aware that any income had been left to you by your parents nor for the matter of that if you will excuse me was i aware that you had any parents what do you mean sir asked dora sitting up very straight why said the lawyer meditatively it is not hard for you to gather my meaning i never saw your parents i never heard mention of them all i know is that my late client arrived here with you and shortly after his arrival purchased the red house you were then a year old and as twenty years have now elapsed it makes you twenty-one added mr carver in parentheses. my late client said that you were an orphan carew by name whom he intended to bring up but as to parents or history or income i know nothing about them absolutely nothing but mr edermont assured me that i had five hundred a year of my own stammered dora taken aback by this plain speaking he handed me money from time to time and stated frequently that he was saving the rest of the income to give me when i came of age if this is so i ought to be entitled to at least eight thousand pounds i congratulate you on your logical arguments and on your business capabilities said carver with grave irony but i am afraid that you are mistaken or else that the late mr edermont deceived you wilfully a thing which i can hardly believe i know all the details of my late client's monetary affairs as i said before i purchased for him the red house freehold some twenty years ago shortly after his arrival in the neighborhood the two hundred per annum which you inherit under the will is the rental of three farms which i purchased at a later period for him the silver furniture and pictures which you also inherit he brought with him from his lost dwelling-house finally miss carew added the lawyer with the air of a man who is making a satisfactory statement i know precisely how he invested that fifty thousand pounds which by the will has been so foolishly offered as a reward for the discovery of the murderer of the testator all these matters i can explain and prove but as regards your supposititious income of five hundred pounds i know nothing there are concluded mr carver calmly neither letters nor scrip Nor documents of any kind whatsoever among the papers of my late client, which can in the least substantiate your statement, or even hint at the possibility of such a thing. Dora listened to this long speech in silent amazement. She had never contemplated the possibility of such a deception, for now it seemed plainly a deception. Why Edermont should have told so many lies, and fostered in her a belief that she was independent as regards pecuniary matters, she could not understand carver waited for her to argue the matter but dora made no attempt to do this the lawyer's explanation was so clear and decisive that she saw no reason to doubt his honesty besides he had been always well disposed towards her and no motive could exist to induce him to deceive her then i am penniless she murmured in dismay mr edermont deceived me apparently he did deceive you assented mr carver placing the tips of his fingers together "'But if you will permit me to remind you, Miss Carew, you are not penniless.' "'I have a roof to cover me and two hundred a year,' said Dora bitterly. "'True enough, Mr. Carver, but such a legacy is saddled with the constant companionship of Mr. Joad.' "'He is scarcely a pleasant companion for a young lady, I grant, Miss Carew. "'But if you permit him to potter about the library and garden, I hardly think that he will trouble you much.' these bookworms dry-as-dust scholars are so wrapped up in their books that they rarely deign to notice mundane affairs or the presence of youth and beauty dora had her own opinion as to mr joad's blindness in this direction but as the subject was not pertinent to the matter under discussion she made no remark on carver's speech after a few moments thought she looked earnestly at the lawyer you are not deceiving me mr carver she asked imploringly i deceive no one miss Carew." he replied stiffly if you doubt my integrity you can consult any solicitor you think fit and send him to me i can prove all my statements by means of documents signed by my late client it is very hard to be so deceived mr carver i grant it i grant it said carver hastily but if you wish to be rich i can only remind you that fifty thousand pounds is waiting for the discoverer of my late client's assassin i wonder you do not earn it yourself said dora rising to take her leave i would willingly do so miss carew but unfortunately my knowledge of mr edermont's past is confined to dry business details i do not know the romance of his life added carver with emphasis and from the romance whatever it was this present trouble springs do you mean a love romance carver shrugged his shoulders why not he said in his driest tone With all due respect to you, Miss Carew, I believe that a woman is to be found at the bottom of everything. Trace back Mr. Edermont's life to his period of romance, and you will find a woman. Find that woman, Miss Carew. Learn her story, and her influence on your late guardian. Then I'll guarantee you will discover the assassin of the Red House. Dora said nothing, but hastily took leave. But once outside, Carver's words recurred to her. They seemed to fit in with her suspicions of Lady Burville. Chapter 10. Dr. Scott is still obstinate. Having failed with the grim lawyer, Dora resolved to see Alan. She felt singularly lonely and longed to have some person to advise her. That should have been Alan's office, but after his cruel behaviour Dora could scarcely bring herself to consult him. Yet it was imperative she should do so. She was an orphan, and had been kept so secluded by the selfishness of Mr. Edermont that she had not a friend in the world. If Alan failed her, the poor girl felt she would not know what to do or who to consult. He must love her, notwithstanding his conduct, she thought, and perhaps if she told him how lonely she was, how unhappy, how greatly in need of his counsel, he might soften towards her, As Dora was naturally a haughty and self-reliant young woman, it may be guessed how isolated she felt when she so far unbent her pride as to turn for sympathy and consolation to the man who had scorned her. But after all, she was only a woman and subject to the weakness of her sex. It was with slow and hesitating steps that she sought the house of her lover. She was well aware that she would find him at home at this hour, and the thought that she would soon see him face to face brought the blood to her cheeks pausing at the door she twice or thrice resolved to go away but the memory of her isolation of her need of sympathy confirmed her original intention she rang the bell and the door was opened by mrs tice who changed colour at the sight of the girl dearie me miss carew she said in some confusion i had no idea it was you is it the doctor you wish to see yes mrs tice is he within he is my dear young lady "'Come into the sitting-room, miss, and I'll inquire if Mr. Allen will see you.' Left alone in the room, Dora sank into a chair. The ceremony with which she had been received, the obvious confusion of Mrs. Tice, touched her painfully. She wondered what could be the reason of such things. They made her only the more determined to see Allen and demand an explanation. But he had refused her once before. It was probable he would do so again.' She felt her helpless condition keenly at this moment. While she was thus taken up with these sad thoughts, she heard a firm step approach the door. It opened, and Alan stood before her. He seemed even more haggard and worn than the last time she had seen him. His shoulders were bent, his eyes lacked fire. Altogether, the man looked so thoroughly ill, so consumed by trouble and vexation of spirit, that Dora involuntarily took a step forward out of sheer sympathy. Then she recollected his conduct and stopped short. They both looked steadily at one another. "'Why have you come to see me?' said Alan wearily. "'It can do no good. I can explain nothing.' "'Alan, you loved me once.' "'I love you still,' he responded hastily. "'I shall always love you.' "'Words, words, words,' said Dora, after the manner of Hamlet. "'Your actions prove otherwise.' Now listen to me, Allan. I have come to you for advice. "'I am the worst person in the world to give it to you,' replied Scott, with cruel emphasis on the last words. "'But if you wish it, I will do so.' "'I do wish it, Allan. I am an orphan. I have few acquaintances and no friends. My guardian is dead, and in all the world there is no living soul who cares about me.' "'Dora!' he cried in a tone of agony. "'How can you speak so?' i care i would rather die than see you suffer i do not wish you to die answered the girl with some bitterness it is so easy to say so difficult so difficult to do no alan i wish you to live and help me let me put my position before you my guardian told me that i had five hundred a year he deceived me i inherited nothing from my parents who told you this dora Mr. Carver, the lawyer. For some reason, Mr. Edermont lied to me, and confirmed his lie by paying me certain moneys which he said came from my inherited income. I hear now that I am a pauper. But for his bequest of two hundred a year and the freehold of the Red House, I should be a beggar. I cannot understand his reason for deceiving you, said Allan, drawing a long breath, but at all events, he has made some reparation by leaving you enough to live on. You will always have a home at the Red House. "'You do not know the conditions of the will,' was Dora's reply. "'I have to live at the Red House. "'I have to permit Mr. Joe to carry on his former life, "'which means that I must see him daily, and I hate the man,' added Dora fervently. "'I loathe him, and now that Mr. Edermont is dead, "'I do not know to what length his audacity may carry him.' "'What do you mean?' demanded Alan, frowning. "'I mean that Jode admires me.' admires you the young man stepped forward and clenched his fists impossible that he should dare oh trust a woman's instinct in such matters allan yes mr joad admires me and i believe he will soon put his admiration into words if he does i'll thrash him within an inch of his life as my affianced husband you no doubt have the right replied dora steadily but have you the will you say you love me yet i do love you he burst out and it is because of my love for you that i keep silent on that fatal day edermont beside himself with terror betrayed to me a secret he had better have kept hidden that secret parts us forever i dare not marry you you dare not what secret can have the power to make you say such words if i told you that i should tell you all replied alan sullenly do not try me beyond my strength, Dora. If you suffer, I suffer also. For your own sake, I keep silent, and I love you too dearly to inflict unnecessary pain. What you might inflict can be no worse than what you have inflicted, said Dora bitterly. I see it is useless to ask you to confide in me. But one word: has this secret to do with Mister Edermont's death? Allan hesitated, then turning his head. "'I cannot answer you,' he said resolutely. "'Oh,' said Dora, in a taunting tone, "'then you know something about the death.' "'I know nothing,' replied Allen with a white face. "'Yes, you do. "'Your refusal to explain shows me that the secret has to do with the murder. "'Perhaps Mr. Edermont told you the name of the person he was afraid of.' "'Well, that person perhaps carried out his wicked purpose.' "'Why do you say perhaps?' asked allan suddenly you seem to be doubtful because a day or two before the crime was committed mr pallant called on my guardian what he told him relieved him of the fear of assassination therefore i do not know if mr edermont's enemy killed him Allen jumped up and looked eagerly at the girl did pallant say that the person whom mr edermont feared was was dead i cannot answer you that Mr. Edermont only said that his nightmare was at an end. I presume, from such a speech, that he felt there was no more danger. Unfortunately, he was murdered shortly afterwards, so that his hopes were vain. But you apparently know all about this person whom my guardian feared. What is his name? "'I can't tell you, Dora,' said Alan with a groan. "'Oh, I do not want you to tell me,' she replied scornfully, "'but tell the authorities.' No doubt you will be rewarded with fifty thousand pounds, blood money. Dora, how can you speak like this to me? How else do you wish me to speak? she retorted fiercely. Do you think that I have water in my veins to put up with your neglect in silence? It is for your own good. You should permit me to be the best judge of that, Alan. My brain is in confusion from the event of last week. I have suffered indescribably with lady burville and her fainting in church came disaster that woman caused a breach between us no no lady burville has nothing to do with my secret will you deny that her name was mentioned several times between you and mr edermont no i will not deny it he returned doggedly all the same she has nothing to do with the matter so you say for the preservation of your secret said dora disdainfully but i believe she has everything to do with the matter and what is more continued the girl raising her voice i feel assured that indirectly she caused the death of my guardian alan turned even paler than before i assure you such is not the case dora i decline to take your word for it i will only believe the evidence of my own senses of my own researches your own researches yes I intend to find out this secret, which is a bar to our marriage. To do so, I must solve the mystery of Mister Edermont's death. I warn you not to do so, cried Allan, breathing heavily. You are playing with fire. I'll take the risk of that, if risk there is. Allan, she said, placing her hand on his shoulders, you laughed at my premonition of evil when I spoke to you of Lady Burville. You see I was right. Now I have a premonition of good my researches will mend the breach between us and bring about our marriage impossible and moreover he hesitated can you love me after the cruel way in which i have been forced to behave to you yes you mentioned the poison and the antidote at once you have been cruel but you have been forced as i truly believe to be so when i discover that force i shall learn the bar to our marriage if so it can be removed i am afraid not he replied shaking his head in the meantime she continued as though she had not heard him as i am a pauper i must remain at the red house but i refuse to do it in the company of that creature joad unless i have a companion will you let mrs tice come and stay with me for a few weeks if mrs tice will go i shall be delighted that you should have her very good alan she rose from her chair "'Now we understand one another. "'When I know the truth, I shall come and see you again. "'Till then, we must be strangers.' "'I suppose so,' said Scott, gloomily. "'But I warn you, the danger is great when you know the truth.' "'Well, what will be the result?' Alan Scott looked at her pityingly. "'Your life will be ruined, as mine has been,' he said. Dora walked towards the window with a weary sigh. "'It is ruined already. "'I do not see how it can be much worse. "'I have lost you. "'I have been deceived as regards my pecuniary position. "'I am threatened with the attentions of that odious creature. "'It is all very terrible.' Allan groaned. "'I wish I could give you hope, Dora, but I cannot. "'I see nothing in the future but pain and separation and misery.' "'Oh, I don't know.' Replied Dora, with a hard laugh. Since you can give me up so easily, I have no doubt that you will speedily console yourself for my loss. You will be married in a few years. Never! If I do not marry you, and that is impossible, I shall marry no other woman. So you say, but I know what men are. Not from experience. I don't think a woman needs experience to divine the nature of the other sex said dora loftily with all the brave self-confidence of youth our instinct teaches us what you are and how you will act i can't expect you to be true to a phantom all your life phantom you are flesh and blood my dear yes but i mean that should i fail to discover this secret or should you persist in treating me as a child we must part and never see one another again i will then be nothing to you but a phantom a memory No man can remain true to a memory. Strange as it may appear to you, Dora, there have been men thus faithful, and I swear— Do not swear fidelity. You will only perjure yourself in after years. But it is no use discussing such things, my dear, she continued more cheerfully. I must return home. Will you come back and see me again? If I have occasion to, I shall do so. I do not intend to part from you until all mysteries are made plain— it shall be my business to make them so a hopeless task sighed allan as he accompanied her to the door i shall send mrs tice over to you in the morning thank you do you know that mrs tice was once acquainted with my guardian yes she said something about it he murmured turning away his head she knows something i am convinced of that she knows the celebrated past of mr edermont about which so much has been said I would not be surprised if she knew the contents of that stolen manuscript. I dare say. But she may not know everything. She knows more than you give her credit for, said Dora dryly. For instance, when you returned from London, I dare say she knew why you had gone there. Yes, that's true enough. And she knew why you quarrelled with my guardian. She did. What of that? Only this, said Miss Carew triumphantly. Mr. Carver said that he believed the past, whence this present trouble arose, was connected with a woman in love with Mr. Edermont. For all I know, that woman may be Missus Tice. End of chapters nine and ten.